Welcome back, everybody. This is Howl History. I'm Derek. That's Chad. We're here to talk about the Timberwolves for the first time in quite a while. We haven't been back since the NBA draft, and the Timberwolves made a transaction, so we figured we'd jump on the mics and uh, talk about it. Chad, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited to get rolling in this thing. Uh, you guys don't know this, but this is our third try to do this <laughs> podcast. We've had some technical difficulties this evening. Uh, so uh, it, hopefully it rolls smoothly and we can get it out there for you. Yeah, it's uh, when you, you start to say, it's been a few weeks since we talked. I'm like, eh, it's been a couple minutes. We <laughs> we went through item one a couple times. Right. This is our third podcast tonight. <laughs> exciting, exciting. Well, speaking of exciting, the Timberwolves made a trade yesterday, sending out uh, fan favorites, Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez, two of my favorite players on the Timberwolves, at least, for uh, Patrick Beverly, a guy that you kind of need to have on your own team to to really get to know, get to enjoy. But you know what they say, Chad? If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. <laughs> um, I know the song. Who is this? Oh, it's it's uh, it's your, it's your your girls, the Spice Girls. <laughs> my girls. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but <laughs> well, sure. come on. When I when I met you that day, I met you. You were in a Spice Girls T-shirt. You had a Spice Girls fanny pack on. You're gonna have to be more specific. I have seven <laughs> of them. Oh, I think it was uh, Baby Spice. Okay, Baby Spice fanny pack. A scary spice t-shirt. That's right. <laughs> okay. Thoughts on Patrick Beverly before this devolves too much? Um, I So I like him. I know he's divisive in the sense that most people who aren't a fan of the team he's on don't like him. Um, but he's he's one of those guys. I've never minded him. I like that. I mean, even the, the shoving of Chris Paul, mm-hmm. I loved I loved every bit of that because I don't, I don't think Chris Paul was innocent. I like, I think that, oh, you guy, know, he said something. Oh, for sure. And you know, I mean, the guy is to me, when you talk passion versus dirty, I think Chris Paul is a way dirtier player than, than uh, Patrick Beverly, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. But I, so I'm, I'm, ex- I was excited. That was my immediate reaction. And as time sort of washed over me, I was a little bit like, this doesn't feel like, it's a permanent uh, fixture, right? Doesn't, like, it feel, doesn't like feel like the end game to you? No, I mean, not necessarily. Maybe it's at the deadline. I mean, I obviously it's an expiring deal. So, you know, whatever that means. Um, but it just, it's a win-win-win situation where he, he fits so many needs that the Wolves have. He fits the toughness. He fits the defensive tenacity. He fits the three and D just from what our offense would need. Um, he fits, he checks off all the boxes of, of the type of player we would need. He's a backup point guard where we just traded away our backup point guard from last year and Ricky Rubio. So all those things are pluses. Um, and then add to that, the fact that he is an expiring contract. He does have playoff experience. He is a guy that helps teams win. And I think he becomes a more valuable trade chip if you do make a bigger deal down the road. Um, and I think it becomes a more appealing package. If you're packaging a guy like Beverly with say Beasley and maybe two first round picks in a potential Simmons trade down the road. Um, but, but it's one of those deals where if not, if that never materializes, the wolves are like, okay, you know, we will roll with Patrick Beverly. We're, we're cool with that. Um, so I don't think it's, um, I, I, there's no downside to it. I can't think of one downside. You got rid of Culver was never anything here. He was never going to be anything here. He was just 
he wasn't developing and he was going to be behind multiple guys at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with Juancho, you know, things started to go pear shaped with the Olympic stuff. Uh, Frankly, probably started before that, you know, they, they gave him permission to go do the movie last summer. And then he came in out of shape and had kind of a poor, poor season um, this last year. And so the wolves were probably already a little bit unhappy with him. And, And so that situation was, doomed probably um i i liked him better than you did but um so i i just to sum it all up no downside yeah <laughs> like, i i think it's um i i can't i anybody that would criticize this move for the wolves i don't know where they would be coming from no i mean the tough part the part i mean the, the part when you look at it from the contract point of view is that both wancho and jared cover could have been expiring this year they both had non-guaranteed contracts for next year, but there was risk with that because Wancho had a team option, which maybe he would have played his way into. I severely doubt that they would have ended up picking that up, but best you know, best case scenario, he's a $7 million expiring contract. That's not going to get a lot of run because we just traded for Torian Prince, who's going to play the same role. And then Jared Culver, he's the big, the big risk because if they don't trade him away, they have to decide by October 31st whether they're picking up his fourth-year option. And that would make him not an expiring anymore. And it's a large number. It's, you know, around the $8 million range, which is just eat into any cap space they might hope to have next year. So um, I doubt, I mean, the smart move would have been to cut bait on him either way, whether in a trade to get back something that's actually a value, like we saw them do, or to just say, no, we're not going to pick up your option. Hopefully you can play well this year and we'll, we'll negotiate at the end of the year to see if you want to come back on a lower number. But um, but ultimately it's a net it's a net even trade in terms of contract length and value they do lose about a million dollars in in flexibility this year uh they, you know about 12 million dollars going out 13 million coming back for patrick beverly um, but it is like you said a nice size contract a lot like torian prince or malik beasley similar to what we just lost out of ricky rubio that if you wanted to start you know accumulating contracts to put together for one larger deal whether that's a ben simmons or some you know somebody along those lines he is a much better fit because wancho and culver had no value no trade right. value. They right. were just contracts. And a team like Philadelphia, like you said, could tell themselves or their fans or their front office or coaches that you bring in Patrick Beverly, he's at least going to make a difference in the playoffs. And it's, it might not be in a starting role. It's not going to be the, it wouldn't be the Kyle Lowry, you know, sign and trade that we were hoping to package together for, you know, when we first started talking about, you know, a Ben Simmons trade at the beginning of the offseason. But, um, but it would be a piece that they would want, it, you know, even if it's not the, the highlighting piece. Yeah, uh, frankly, I think it's a better if if I'm Philadelphia, I would rather have Beverly and Beasley than Kyle Lowry. Um and I I'm a huge Kyle Lowry fan, but Philadelphia has had one big hole, which was perimeter shooting. Beasley gives gives you all that. Mm-hmm. Beverly even gives you some of that. And Beverly replaces some of the defense that you're gonna lose by losing Ben Simmons. And and Lowry does too, but I don't think Lowry's as good of a defender as even Beverly is. Um, now Lowry's a another proven winner and all that, so I get all that. I it, it's a close one, but I would prefer if I'm Philadelphia. Not it's not to say mm-hmm. that that's what they prefer, but I would prefer having a young shooting guard in Beasley who can light it up, and a point guard like Beverly. And by the way, I also still think there's there's room for Beasley to grow. I think Beasley could become a solid defender still because he does put in the effort. He just 
doesn't seem to know where to be. Um, maybe on a team like Philadelphia, it would fit his defensive aggressiveness a little bit better because if he gets burned in Philadelphia, you got Embiid protecting the rim and not Cat, who's not a rim protector. So um, maybe those gambles pay off more for him. So I just I like that as a package better if I'm Philadelphia. Now on the same token, I also like Beverly's fit here better than as much as I love Ricky Rubio, my second favorite player of all time from this franchise. I Beverly just fits better. I mean, he just does. He's a he's a better defender even than Ricky. He's a better shooter than Ricky, and he gives you an edge that nobody else in this team yet provides. Ant gives you somewhat of an edge, but not in the same way that Patrick Beverly gives you. Beverly gives you the same edge that Sam Cassell brought in 2004 to the Timberwolves. And, I mean, KG already is. Yeah. I mean, KG and Beverly are probably more similar personality-wise than even Sam and, and Beverly. But KG doesn't get under people's skin as much as Patrick Beverly or Sam Cassell did. And that's where I see that sort of um, connection. But So, I, you know, it, I think this puts the Wolves in a better position to acquire Ben Simmons on the road, which is a gi- giant win. But I also think this makes the Timberwolves a significantly better team than they were 48 hours ago or whenever the trade was uh, completed. So I think that's also a significant win. So um, I'm I'm super excited for the season to get going now. Yeah, I mean, Beverly comes in, he's 33 years old, which immediately makes him six years older than the next oldest player on the Timberwolves, which is insane that they had it a is. roster that young. That, you know, Ed Davis was out, Ricky Rubio was out, all of their long-term veterans were out. So it's just a young team, and to bring in a guy not only who – has been a, is a veteran has been playing globally he's played for a bunch of different teams he's worked his way up from the bottom and he's been you know 94 feet of pressure ever since he started in the league and that's the way he's made his his impact but you know he's he's still performing at a high level he's a 38 percent career three-point shooter you know around 40 percent on catch and shoot threes and he, even just in 2020 he was second team all defense so his reputation follows him he seemed like he was going to fill the Tony Allen role in Memphis when he, when they had him for, you know, a hot minute there that he would step in and kind of fill that tough-nosed defensive player, but he can shoot better than Tony Allen ever did. So, um, And Ron, Rondo might fill that role if they keep him. Who knows? Yeah, know? it's a weird... I don't understand what Memphis is doing. That's a weird roster for a team that seemed like they were starting to figure some things out. But yeah, um, yeah. But yeah I, I think he comes in, and if we really look at it from the two transactions that they've made this summer, it's... It's Rubio, Wancho, and Culver for Patrick Beverly, Torian Prince, a second-round pick, $3 million extra dollars in cap space, and $2.5 million into the, the pocket of the Timberwolves owners, hopefully to do with some you know, in the future for something else. Go buy a pick next year, whatever that happens to be. But um, I don't know. Like I don't, I'm not going to call myself a, str- a strong enough basketball mind to say whether or not there's more talent on this roster than there was at the beginning of the offseason. You know, Rubio's an amazing player, and I'd say that in a vacuum, he's probably still better than Patrick Beverly, but the fit from the from the guys that they have now is much better than what they had last year because Rubio just it was going to be an awkward fit next to D'Lo with especially with Ant and Beasley. No matter how you tried to massage it, because everything that looked good near the end of the year, even when he did start to fit in a little bit more, he he started for a while and then he started next to D'Lo for a little while and he finally ended up coming off the bench. All that was done without Beasley taking up any minutes, so. We can't have somebody who expects to be starting or expects to be handling the ball that often really playing that role in the team. And as much as I, I love Rubio, too, you know, we've talked plenty of times about how 
you know, we'd both go to bat and die for Ricky Rubio, you know, as a lifelong Timberwolf player. And if they wanted him to retire the number nine, I'd be all for it. But um, I think that Beverly, with the rest of the roster that they have right now, does fit better, like you like you were saying. So um, they enter into this season. Beverly will miss the first game of the season, as you talked about, because of the shove on, on Chris Paul. But he'll probably slide into that backup point guard role. I would expect to see him playing next to D'Lo quite often, because on... Defense, he can guard ones, and on offense, he can play two a little bit more. And uh, in a recent Q&A with Britt Robson, Coach Finch uh, mentioned the the need to get D'Lo off ball because he's such a good shooter, so to have another ball handler on the floor is always a a priority of theirs. So uh, he can fit into lots of different lineups, whether with the starters or with with the bench unit. Yeah, and when you're that disruptive on defense, there's a spot for you on every team in the league. I mean, it's just, you know, it it, would be... I I, I mean... it gives the Wolves so much more flexibility now because you can, you know, you start with your normal, the, the starting five we all sort of anticipate, which, you know, D'Lo, Ed, Edwards, Beasley, and Cat, and then whatever they end up doing at the four, whether it's Vanderbilt or Jaden McDaniels, mm-hmm. you know, one of those two guys. Um, and then on the bench, you know, you can roll out the Nas Reed for your offense and then the the other one of, if say it's uh, Vanderbilt that starts and Jaden McDaniels comes off the bench can be a little bit of an offensive um, you know, plug for you. And then you have Beverly in there. I mean, all of a sudden you have a very strong defensive bench. you got Torian Prince, who, you know, is probably a, a better defender. Yeah. yeah, better than what the Wolves had last year across the board. I mean, he's not, like, going to wall you with his defense, but he's, you know, he's a guy that played it when on a team that didn't have a lot of defenders last year outside of Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt. But, um, so I... I that's the other part that just has me excited. I, you know, it's just it's a it's a roster balancing move with a you know a plus player and you know and, and then Prince is not, you know he's a he's probably a wash in terms of what he does versus what Ricky did last mm-hmm. year for us. And, and let's keep in mind that was Ricky's worst year as a pro. Yeah. Um, for a multitude of reasons, it fit. He came in out of shape, as he admitted, because it, he had just went through COVID before the season. Um, so whatever the reasons were, it, it wasn't his best season. And so Prince is going to come in and probably be a wash to whatever Ricky provided last year, but he fits better on this team to, for all the reasons you just pointed out, you know, with too many ball handlers and stuff. You know, I don't know what this does for a guy like Jordan McLaughlin. Um, you know, I, I hope he's still makes team. I like both the, the young point guards that we had on our summer league team and I'd be, you know, fine with either of them making the team as well. So, those are the guys that, you know, maybe their roles are a little bit different. Yep. Um, But it's, you know, Beverly can even start in some situations for the Wolves where D'Lo moves to the shooting guard, Nant plays the three, and, and, you know, and then you have a little bit more of a point of attack defender, you know, just to get the game going where the Wolves Mm kind of come out a little sleepy. Um, So. Yeah, I read an interview with Beverly, and it was, you know, from like 2015, so it was quite a, a few years ago, but he really said like that was his job, and I think it was when Kevin McHale was coaching Houston. Um, and he moved him into the starting lineup for the first time. And he said, that's why I was moved into the starting lineup to, from the opening tip, provide a defensive uh, intensity and defensive presence on the floor so that the team could be in the right mindset from from second one of the game. Um, you know, and I didn't put two and two together. You know, like I read the Chris Finch interview with Britt as well. And, you know, he also worked under McHale. So did he coach in Houston when Beverly was there? 
I don't, you know what? I don't know if Finch ever actually coached for the Rockets. I know he coached for the Grand City Vipers, the the G League team at the time. I yeah. don't know if he ever actually had experience working with the with well, the NBA. He squad. Talked about in the interview with Brett what his role was under McHale. So he, um, where he was, sort of the defensive guy. That's right. With so I so I do think he coached under McHale there, um, but I don't know like. If it was with, well, uh, Beverly was there, and I, I just when you mentioned that, you know, obviously I knew Beverly played for Houston, but I just never worked Let's out see. the timeline in my head. Yeah, so he was the Rio Grande City Vipers coach from 2009 through 2011. He was an assistant with the Rockets from 2011 through 2016. So yes, he would have been there at the same time as Beverly. Okay. So okay, now you have Beverly played for him. Yep. Beasley played played for him um, in Denver mm-hmm. and. Felt like there's one more well Wancho, but he's gone now. No, Wancho's yeah. So no, that might be it. it, but I mean it's a pattern and it's a trend for especially Rosas to bring in guys that either he has experience with or he found with Houston or you know, he targeted PJ Tucker for a while and those are the just the kinds of guys that if he's going to make a bench move, if he's if he's going to make a roster filling move, those are the types of guys he's going to gravitate towards is somebody he has experience with, especially the ones that he's proud of that he right, feels like he, he yeah, prides himself in discovering and yep. yeah. So you know, I, it's I, you wonder how long that one was in the works because I'm sure he's had his eye on him for quite a while. I'm sure too. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of good sense. But I, you know, was it in discussions even before the draft? So is that part of the reason why Ricky was dealt then because they knew okay, mm-hmm. whether we get Simmons or not, we know we can at least get Patrick Beverly and that makes us a better team you know, yeah i mean I, it it really felt like a couple shoes needed to drop for this one to happen because not only did beverly need to be traded from the clippers to the grizzlies in the first place because the wolves didn't have anything of eric bledsoe's caliber to really send over in a one for three trade which wouldn't have made much sense for us anyway we didn't have the roster spots for it um but and i don't know if beverly was available at that time unless it was for an upgrade at that position so um he got traded there to a point where the Grizzlies didn't have extra roster spots and they had too many players, in which case they then traded him for two more players, which still doesn't make any sense to me. But um, Dane, Dane Moore also reported that the Wolves had been waiting to see what was going to happen with Marcus Smart before pulling the, the trigger on the Beverly trade because they had been interested if he didn't sign his extension with Boston, they were going to make a run at him, which would have cost significantly more than what they ended right. up trading for Beverly. But they, they wanted that type of point guard and Marcus Smart... Marcus Smart was the first guy I looked at back when I was trying to figure out a multi-team trade for Ben Simmons because oh, he seemed he, like he'd be the perfect fit in Philadelphia. He's the other guy that I've just I've wanted yeah. the Wolves to take a swing on for for the last several years. So it that's the other part that makes me super excited was is while I was starting to question some of the Rosas mm-hmm. decisions, now he's totally redeemed himself <laughs> <laughs> back on. You know the, the primary decision being. Trading away Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> After you know you got him, you got me so excited last draft. Then you trade him away this draft, and then he goes out and doesn't get a draft pick. When I was, I was so confident that they would get at least a second round pick at, for the draft, mm-hmm. and then he didn't do anything. And then it was kind of quiet, which that part didn't bother me as much as other people locally, where the the Wolves weren't in there because I didn't expect them to be in the frenzy of all these top free agents, or you know, the, they were going to be in the second or third wave. Um, to make a move because we just at, didn't yeah, have the at best, to, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't, I wasn't that discouraged by the fact that there was very little going on. Um, 
and you know, then he comes out with Beverly. I, I to be honest, I was on a Zoom meeting for work, and I have my my TV screen over my desk, and I was like sitting in the middle of listening to this guy talk, and I see it pop up breaking news across the bottom of Sports Center, and the Wolves got Beverly. And I looked away. It was just like now I had to do a double take. Like wait, what? And I had to rewind it. And like what the heck? Yeah, like, we just got Patrick Beverly. So it was a, it was a weird moment because I and I probably higher on Beverly than a lot of people. Like I, frankly, I don't think Eric Bledsoe's an upgrade over Beverly. I really don't at this point in his career. I think Beverly's a better player, a more reliable player. Um, fits better. I mean, Bledsoe is a better offensive player probably, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's anywhere near the defender at this point that Beverly is. And that's what to me, the Clippers need. They don't necessarily need another offensive player there. I mean, maybe during the quiet month yeah. that he's out, but like, that's just sort of penny wise dollar foolish. If you ask me, I would have much rather rolled into the playoffs with Patrick Beverly than Eric Bledsoe. But I mean, Beverly's not perfect by any means. He as no. good of a defender as he is. He is still undersized. I mean, he has a, he's six one with a six, 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 seven wingspan. So he has the length to, to disrupt people and to be a very good defender, but he still doesn't have the size to be switchable. He doesn't, you know, and whatever the hell comes with that. Bledsoe does. So if you're looking for yeah, more size out of that position, I, especially for a Clippers team that wants to switch everything, they want to play five guys that are within four inches of each other. I can see that making a little bit more sense. But Beverly can switch on to shooting guards, a lot of shooting guards. Like he defended the Devin Bookers and the Donovan Mitchells of the, the uh, West Western conference all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and if he can do that on top of the point guards, he's defending. And then I don't really think that's a problem for him to switch. I mean, it will Bledsoe be able to defend those guys. I don't know that he will, you know? So, I mean, we'll see how that pans out, but my point being, I just don't think that's a slam dunk upgrade. And here the wolves got, a guy, you know, comparable to Bledsoe at the very least for far less than yeah. what they had, you know. So, you know, home run. I mean, I, I just I, and and again back to the Philadelphia potential. I just again, it's a way better package now. If if the Wolves are not gonna trade Jaden McDaniels or Anthony Edwards, and I hope they don't, mm-hmm. you know, even for Ben Simmons deal, I just think that's too much to give up. And Philadelphia really isn't interested in D'Lo and or the Wolves aren't interested in moving D'Lo, which also could very much be the case. This package of uh, Beverly and Beasley and then, you know, a couple picks seems far more favorable than Wancho and Culver and Beasley and a couple picks. Yeah, I, I still don't know if it gets you there without it might not. It would Jaden, you know, but yeah, it might. It would. I think it could because I I think Philadelphia is going to get to a point where they have to take the best offer on the table. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think it's, they, they might be able to get a Damian Lillard, but they're going to be the team giving up picks. Then they're yeah. going to give yep. up Ben Simmons plus picks. And what would you rather have now? Again, we're talking about another one of my favorite players in the, in the mm. league. And what I, I clearly, I would rather have Damian Lillard than Beverly and Beasley. But would I want to give two first round picks and Ben Simmons to get Damian Lillard? I don't know that I'd want to give up that much for Damian Lillard either. So, cause I also like Ben Simmons. So, it's it's a weird deal, especially for as a fan, because all those guys are guys I really like. Um, but it it definitely keeps the wolves in the conversation where a lot of teams have fallen out of that conversation of, in the last couple of weeks because of moves they made. Right, I think fallen out of that that sweepstakes to to get Ben Simmons, and it's a very Rosas like move where he has acquired 
more assets that makes him keeps him in the hunt even if he doesn't ultimately make the deal he's he's not handcuffed him he didn't pull a david khan and just used up all your assets to make the the, the move you can make yeah you know he's he's used his assets to acquire assets that might be more attractive to for the guy you're actually really targeting he keeps teasing us along and making you feel like he has a plan and like we all want to believe he does and i think we do but at the same time it's like one of these days that shoe is going to have to drop you know what i mean it's like he he makes the rubio trade and it's like oh we got four more million dollars in, in space under the luxury tax and he makes this move it's like ah oh, patrick beverly is a perfect fit but it could also be a good piece for a trade and you hear the Woj report where it's like oh man the timberwolves are one of the teams that are still aggressive going after ben simmons they might be the only team left and it's like man, maybe Rosas has this, this master plan where eventually it's all going to fall together. And, and he's said many times, too, that, like, you can't make it come together. You just have to put yourself in a position to to capitalize when something is available. But And I think that's the reality of it. Is I don't think that Rosas has a one-track plan, right? I think it's a fork road. And he has multiple paths that he likes. Mm-hmm. And some of those paths he likes better than others. But what he does and what I like about him is he quickly – removes the path that he may have tried that didn't work like the Jared Culver. Now I don't, I don't uh, hold too much against them for drafting Culver because I don't believe that that was who they were trading up to take. I really do believe it was Garland was the guy. And when Cleveland swerved on us and took Garland after taking Sexton the year before Culver was what the best player available on everybody's board. Mm-hmm. And so any happened to have traits that fit what the wolves needed at the time since then, you've added Anthony Edwards with the number one pick who plays the same position. Okogi does essentially the same thing Culver was going to do anyway, only better. So you, you're, And then you have Malik Beasley on the team. So you have a bunch of wings that are better in different areas than Culver. So Culver was never going to have a long-term role. So what did Rosas do? He moved him you know, and got a, a, something of value back. Um, and then similarly with the Ricky deal, like they brought in a veteran. They wanted somebody who could be the... Uh, a calming voice and presence on the team in the sense of, uh, you know, when things are rough, he, you know, he's been in the battle before he kind of mentor these younger guys and it worked for Ant. Ant loved Ricky Rubio. He was, you know, he's, he says in every interview you ever hear him, he talks, he just raves about Ricky Rubio. And so that part was, I think Ricky did his job from that standpoint, but this was still a team full of a bunch of really good guys with no edge. And, Mm -hmm. You know, the last time this team made the playoffs, they had some edge to them because of Jimmy Butler. And Beverly is like a mini Jimmy Butler. He's a mini Kevin Garnett. I mean, he's not as good as either of those two guys, but he doesn't have to be because we have talent's never been the question since Carl Anthony Towns has come to Minnesota. We have plenty of talent. I I think our starting lineup is as talented as any starting lineup in the league outside of maybe like the Brooklyn's or like, you know, a couple of those super teams. Uh, the problem is, is it was mixed mismatched talent that didn't really necessarily work together. And then it was, there was no sort of alpha um, personality in that group that could kind of be the leader and kind of set a tone. Um, And I think you need that, you know, and I, you know, maybe, maybe it'll blow up just the same way that the Jimmy Butler one did. And if it did, so be it. Then at that point, that's when you look at, okay, maybe we do pivot and, and see what we can get for towns and, and those kinds of things. But I think we're way too premature on that kind of talk right now. You yeah. know? So, well, it, it seems like they do have a couple more uh, roster moves to make this off season. 
Darren Wilson tweeted today that Leandro Barmero is in town, so it seems like he's here to possibly sign his contract. It'll be a, a rookie contract based off the rookie scale from when he was drafted last year. I think it'll be based off of this year's numbers, but they're not too much different than what last year's would have been, which uh, is exciting. He'll be another guard, and I, I, I don't know about you, I don't expect him to come in and have a, a immediate role in the lineup. Maybe he'll be the 10th, 11th man and get some run in different types of games, but I don't see him being you know, third guard or primary backup point guard or anything like that, especially now with the Beverly signing. So it'll be nice to get him in, especially as a young guy, to really get some, get his feet wet and have a chance to learn on the job and take his time rather than being, you know, all of the hopes of the Timberwolves offseason resting on him being the only new face in the locker room. Yeah, maybe he plays in the G League some. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, but he... The way I see him, very similar to you. You know, maybe if uh, somebody goes down yep. and misses 10, 12 games or something, he can step up and play twenty minutes a night. Um, but ideally, you know, he's getting five or eight minutes a night in games that are out of hand, either we're way up or way down. Um, you know, or, or and then maybe one or two or three minutes in games that are you know close, um, just to kind of slowly develop him along. But and he, he's another one that would have pushed Culver further yep. down the minutes i was gonna say because, the exact same thing exactly yeah yep. yeah so you know it's all all, all the moves they've made this offseason are, are roster balancing moves and for defensive more defensive-minded players which is the other thing that to your point about whether Rosas has a, a plan or not you know i i do think one of the more reassuring things about finch coming in is even though he's supposed to be this offensive guy he's been prioritizing defense because he realizes wow this team is really lacking defensive talent and they're not lacking offensive talent. I mean, you, all the way up and down that the, both parts of the Brit interview, he just raved about the offensive talent to the point where, I mean, he, he was talking about guys saying that cats better than, than uh, Jokic never. Yeah. And, and um, Delos is as good as like Booker or better, you know I mean? So he's not that he's claiming that, but he's, he's inferring it in certain, and part of that he, probably understands that D'Lo and Cat are going to read that and he wants to make sure they know he's you know giving them his vote of confidence but on the other hand like that's offensively those guys are right there it's on mm-hmm. the defensive end that they're not at the same level as those guys and so um, I think Finch is realizing that and he's part of the reason why he's championed the Jaden McDaniels development is because of his defensive effort uh, he's been a big proponent of using Vanderbilt a lot and all he gives you is defense, and so I'm um, adding, you know, Beverly and to a lesser extent Prince are, are two more steps in that direction. Yeah. So the Wolves will bring on Balmero here, uh, unless something goes horribly wrong in the next 24 hours. Uh, leaves him with about seven million dollars remaining and a couple roster spots. Uh, a lot of that will go to Jared. Bring, hopefully, bringing Jared Vanderbilt back. I don't know where those negotiations are at the moment, but we're also not right up against any type of deadline, so. They might be holding out, seeing if there's anybody left to give them a, an offer, uh, you know, in the restricted free agency market. Um, another, you know, a feather in the cap for having cleared that extra room with the Ricky Rubio for Torian Prince trade was that the Wolves had plenty of room to scare off any potential suitors for Jared Vanderbilt that might have made him a, a restricted free agency offer. You know, if a team had come in earlier and made him a $5 million a year offer, the Wolves might not even have even had the space at the time to match that under the luxury tax and it's not like you can't make a move later you just have to clear the space by the end of the season but they might have been more hesitant to match an offer like that if they hadn't cleared the room yet so um, but you know with 
having cleared the room already at draft night, they were able to you know look every team in the eye and say, you know what, unless you come in with an unreasonable offer for Jared Vanderbilt, or we have the space to match it, and it's not going to be a problem. So we've got about $7 million. I think everybody's kind of assuming $5 million a year or so for Vanderbilt, which I, it probably would have been a little bit more than I would have expected or guessed at the, the end of the season. But um, I think he's a guy worth keeping around and a guy I want to see on this roster, especially with the fact that they haven't brought in any more you know, guaranteed starters at that power forward position, I think is going to be right in line for a starting job, whether that means McDaniels slides to the three and Beasley comes off the bench, or like you said earlier, maybe McDaniels needs one more year of of conditioning, or Vanderbilt's just another energy guy, and you can run out a bench unit of Beverly and Akogi and Vanderbilt all at the same time, and the building will explode from all the energy on the floor. So, um, And it could be a rotational thing, too, where some games Vanderbilt starts at the four, other games Jaden starts, just depending on matchups. I mean, Finch even sort of noted that that could be a possibility too yep. um, with Britt. So I, I like that he's not rigid in a stance of like, no, it has to be this guy. It has to be a, a traditional power forward or it has to be a traditional center. I mean, and they're still talking like there may be other tweaks to this roster. There might be another center maybe, um, you know, whether that's Nathan Knight or somebody like that who might be is another guy that can kind of work his way into the rotation. I mean, I don't know that Knight's as good as Nas Reed. He likely isn't. I mean, he's definitely not on offense. But he adds a different wrinkle if, if he makes this roster because of his, you know, ability to just run to the rim yeah. and play defense and, and that kind of stuff. So um, there are some lots of different variables there that, that make the starting lineup might be fluid, at least in those in the middle part of that lineup, you know, the three and the four. Yeah, they have extra f- flexibility now because they did open up a roster spot with this recent trade, sending out two, getting one back. Um, you know, we, we've talked on text before about how much, how excited we'd be if they did convert Knight to a, a full-time, you know, a Nas Reed-like contract where they, the, the Gerson Rosas special where it's a four-year deal with three years non-guaranteed and you just bring him in and give him that opportunity to have a, a guaranteed contract. But... Um, and then that would give bring, open up a second roster spot. And we've both liked uh, Isaiah Miller in his time with on the, in the summer league. And it would be weird having two point guards, you know, on, on two ways. I don't know how many, if you want to bring both of them up at the same time or alternate them, or maybe that does make sense because they can only both of them can only play a limited number of games, and you just want to give them both a run. But McKinley Wright and Isaiah Miller are both guys we've liked. We've definitely liked watching. And Chris Finch even mentioned that both of them in that interview with with Britt. And he said they're both kind of they're both in the same spot they're both a jump shot away from being long-term players in the league um they play different ways you know one's a bulldog and one plays more intellectually but i we you know that would be pretty exciting for me i think that would be the best use of that final roster spot if they chose to use it at the moment and maybe they go the same way they did with the ronde hollis jefferson thing last year where they say you know what we just want to keep that last roster spot open just in case and have flexibility but so you think with beverly that mclaughlin's gone yeah I don't know about that. I didn't assume that at first. I know that's the path that Dane's been on, or Dane Moore has been on with his recent pods and his tweets. He said that the most likely casualty will be that they no longer have the money or interest in re-signing Jordan McLaughlin. The the money's what worried me right away, but I was like, well, there's still a spot because, you know, Beverly's going to be that sixth man. He's going to play 30 minutes right around that mark. And so there's still minutes for a third point guard. Um, when your your top two point guards are playing a lot together, um, but and I like Jordan McLaughlin as well. You know, 
I really like Isaiah Miller a lot mm-hmm. in the summer league. He he reminds me of a poor man's Eric Bledsoe, who we were just talking about, right. um, because he's without he's the fast. size, but yeah, yeah, he, he doesn't have the size of uh, Bledsoe, but he's he's very strong. He's super athletic. Um, I, I, you know, his shot looks decent to me. I mean, I I know what Finch is saying, like it's not reliable yet, but it's not because his form's funky or anything. Like, I think he uh, he can develop a, a shot. I, I like McKinley Wright as well. I just I, I I like Miller a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if that's all, if it were up to me now, and there's two spots left, and now that we got Beverly, I would probably I, Knight would be my first priority from yep. the summer league team, and then Miller would be my second. Yeah, I mean Knight provides something that they don't have on this team. He's right. He is the offensive Jared Vanderbilt, if you will. Like he's got the athleticism and the rim running of an offensive player to be that energy guy, that that athlete that they don't have on the offensive end. And he's not the defender that Vanderbilt is. Nobody in the in our front court is, which is what gives Vanderbilt so much value. Um, but I think Knight could be. I mean, I think he's a better shot blocker than Vanderbilt. Um, I think if he was in a system that he could, you know, grow with, mm-hmm. like he's not going to come in and be as good defensively as Vanderbilt for no. sure. Yeah. But if he be in the system for a little while by you know the spring he could be on par with Vanderbilt on defense too so to me he's got more upside than Vanderbilt because I just don't know that Vanderbilt's ever going to be a competent offensive player I don't don't know that he's ever going to be his hands are going to be good enough to really be a full-time starter on a playoff contending team um but you know he could he could sway me if, if he continues to develop that way. But um, so that's the, the part I like about Knight. And, and I think it's interesting that if you have Knight and what Knight and Nas could play on off the bench, you know, is a big bench lineup, you know, so th- mm-hmm. those are options that you have as well. So, I mean, yeah, he, he clearly gives you something you don't have. He, he fits that role of some of those big bigs that we tried to like the Ed Davis, but he's, he's got more left in the tank. It feels like obviously, cause he's a lot younger, but Ed Davis, you know, that's kind of what I was hoping for out of Ed Davis when he came here to be that defensive presence and being able to, you know, yeah. run to Ram and dunk and all those kinds of things. And he just wasn't that guy from Minnesota like he was when he played with D'Lo prior. Yeah, and, you know, fans from probably 28 of the 30 teams in the league probably believe that their team has the best, like, end-of-the-bench guys that nobody else found and it makes sense because it's who they've obsessed about and they don't know who the end of the bench guys are on any other team and i wouldn't so i'm not going to sit here and pretend that rosas is the only gm in the league who's able to find these end of the bench guys like nas reed and you know uh jalen noel and you know nathan knight and you know that no other team is able to do this and that you know this is the advantage that we have it seems like he is very good at that to us but i you know i haven't paid enough attention to the rest of the league and i'd say you know nobody else from outside minnesota is looking at at our team and saying oh gosh minnesota and all that young talent they're putting together on cheap contracts that's that's really what's going to set them apart so i don't want to well, get the, i don't want to get too over the board overboard no, with it but i know what you're saying you know to kind of do a reality check but i i will say you know one of those guys was Jaden mcdaniels yeah he was an end of the bench guy who's now all of a sudden you know every team in the league is interested in so he was also a first round pick though i mean so it's like well, late, yeah how many late first round picks be you know a lot of first round picks are end of the bench guys yeah you know when they're picked in the 20s that's kind of their their spot right and so 
yeah, I get it. He wasn't like a un- unknown, mm-hmm. completely unknown player. Um, but do you think McDaniel's is would get the recognition from fans of other teams though? Yet, not, I'm not saying fans. I don't really care what the yeah. fans. I'm, I'm talking like GMs of other teams. Sure, I yeah. think, you know by all reports that you read at the draft and stuff when when trade conversations were happening. Just what every local reporter said that Jaden McDaniel's name was the one that every team was calling about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he, maybe he wasn't the main piece like the Ben Simmons deal, but like that was one of the, the rumors or the stories that was out there that part of the reason that the wolves walked away from those talks around the draft week was because the Philadelphia was asking for a lot, which included four first round picks and Jaden McDaniels. Yeah. And they weren't willing to part with, with probably either of those, but, um, I, so I do think McDaniels has, has got that. But beyond that, even before his time in Minnesota, I mean, like we talked about with Beverly, Rosas was the guy that discovered him. So Rosas has had some legit discoveries that, yeah. you know, I think has earned him at least the benefit of the doubt there. I mean, I think you're right. Like I, every team, you know, I follow, like I've, I'm a Grizzlies fan mm-hmm. as well. I'm a Portland fan as well. And so I follow like sort of the Dane Moores in each of those markets. Yeah. And, so I know what guys that the, like the fans like on those teams. Um, by the way, Jake Lehman was one of those guys when he was in Portland. And yeah. I, I actually like Jake Lehman here as well. But you're right. Like every fan base has those guys that they're really excited about. I, I But I do think Rosas deserves a little bit more credit than some of those other GMs. Because I do think he's, you know, Niles Reed was a, I mean, he, he was a highly touted recruit out of high school. But. Yeah, nothing coming out of college, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it's... I think Russ deserves deserves a little bit of credit there. Yeah, we can give him some rope, and we can say, you know, he was a scout at heart, and that's where his his upbringing came from in the NBA world. So, you know, I want to believe, you know, the X-Files slogan, you know, and roll with it and just continue moving forward and say that, you know what, these are the right guys, and hopefully one day it all leads to winning, which will be the real test. Because it's, it's like, if it doesn't, then what's the difference between Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Simons, you know, in Portland where they said he was going to be the next max contract player that they had that just needed to blow up or, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker out in LA where, you know, there were the reports saying that they should give him a max contract just because he was Taylor Horton Tucker and played for the Lakers. It's like, I, I literally hurt myself eye rolling so hard when I read, read some well, of those reports. You that's because the Lakers do that with every guy they ever, they do, you know, I, I don't want to like get us into that same boat where we're just kind of like, Oh man, this is the next big thing, you know, but no, but I, Somebody, it might have been Dane that I saw on Twitter today mentioned that about Jay McDaniels. It was Dane, where he talked about how Dane's game, or not Dane's game, Jaden's game <laughs> is the type of game that might be underappreciated by yeah. fans and like the media, um, you know, nationally in the sense that he didn't even make the all summer league team, which is like laughable. Yeah. Um, but, or the, either the all rookie teams, you know, this last year. So, that could keep his price tag down. So, like, hey, I mean, that would suck for Jaden McDaniels, but as a Wolves fan, right? If if that means his next contracts, you know, pennies on the dollar for what he's actually worth, I'll take it. That's kind of what happened with Nas Reed, right? Like, um, having because he came in with sort of a reputation of being soft and out of shape and not trying that hard, and all of a sudden he joins this team and he loses twenty pounds and he's diving on the floor for everything. You know, he's like the complete opposite of what his reputation was similar to Jane McDaniels, his reputation was he was, you know, kind of a malcontent and he was argumentative and a hothead. And then he comes in here and they seems like a, the politest 
softest spoken kid there is. So it's just, it's kind of weird, but, um, so yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen, but I, I think there's, there is, look, the, as Wolves fans, there's a lot of things we can say, okay, well, that's, you're looking at it through rose-colored glasses. In terms of the young role players that Rosas has brought in, I think that's one piece that we can actually sink in our teeth into and say, okay, th- th- this one's real. Yeah. Like, is Duo really the guy that Rosas thinks? That's the question. Question, exactly. right? And that could be the bigger swing and a miss because if Dilo's not a legit number two star to Cat, then that's a far bigger mistake than, you know, drafting Jade McDaniels or, or, or Ant. You know, he had a great rookie year, but if he doesn't get better from, if, if that's just what he is the rest of his career, well, that's not enough to say that he was worth taking as the number one pick. Mm-hmm. You know, because if LaMelo goes on and has a better career, then maybe you mess that up. Or maybe Wiseman. I mean, it's not like his career is done. He could still end up being the better player. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, th- those are the p- kind of moves I think that, you know, Rosas has to be judged on more because I think he has proved himself on, on the, just with the Jalen Noel and the Nas Reed signings yeah. alone. Yeah, and I think it all comes back to what you said, you know, a while ago is that we have no shortage of talent. You know, the probably the biggest gap so far that they've shown in their ability to ro- construct a roster and maybe they just haven't been interested in this yet. They haven't gotten to the point where they've wanted rubber to meet the road. The winning hasn't been the top priority. Is that they haven't had the the atmosphere or the personalities or the leadership or whatever it happened to be to take the talent and make it into a winner. You know, you take a look at the roster construction that Memphis has done, where they had a coach that was just as young as Ryan Saunders. They brought in a bunch of rookies who were not necessarily high draft picks, not any higher than Cat and D'Lo and Ant were, but they bring in a Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman and, uh, you know, they just a bunch of hard-nosed, gritty guys who maybe are closer to their peaks but they're ready to win, you know, and Rosas so far, and maybe this is because he didn't have the right coach in place and Saunders just was overmatched, but he hasn't put together, he hasn't gotten talent that was ready to win together, you know, yet. So that's That's the next step for him. It is. But I will say like on the Memphis example, those guys, yeah, you're right. They were more ready to win, but they're also closer to their ceiling. Yeah, already. exactly. Right. And, and so I think we're seeing what the, the results of that is is and they're already sort of making a bunch of mm-hmm. kind of blow almost like blow it up moves they got rid of valentunas who was kind of a big piece to that winning last year um and maybe steven adams brings every bit as much as valentunas did i mean look two years ago steven adams was a far superior player than valentunas so yeah. we'll see i mean valentunas was sort of looked at as garbage when memphis got him um so i, I for the wolves yeah you're right they they haven't prioritize winning over high ceiling guys right yep. like they're they're trying to get at every swing they're trying to hit a home run and i think that's okay when this team's this young like all this talk of whether or not the wolves should go the, the cat and delo mm-hmm. route or blow that up and go the jade mcdaniels and anthony edwards route it's like these guys are separated by just a couple of years it's like totally reasonable to have them all in the same window you know like in my mind and if and maybe what you find out is when ant comes up for his extension and Jaden comes up for his extension that maybe deal is the only guy that doesn't fit any longer and you let him go you trade him or you you know let him go and and whatever do a sign and trade um and you bring in the talent to su- supplement around Jaden 
Ant and Cat. Or maybe Cat's the one. You know, maybe, For whatever reason, maybe Cat's the one that demands a trade. Like everybody keeps suggesting he's going to do, they've done since he's been a rookie. <laughs> like, yep. Which, all that sort of annoying stuff that you get from the national media. But, um, so I, I don't have a problem with the route they've taken in terms of trying to load up on young players. Like we've, we talked in previous episodes about Rosas' sort of approach is to go after guys that were highly recruited come out of high school mm-hmm. who maybe didn't live up to that billing in college for whatever reason. Usually it's because it's a fit. You know, college teams have very specific systems, and if you don't fit that system, you don't look like the player that you were supposed to be. Um, so that there's good reason to do that kind of uh, analysis on these players. And so I, so far, like I think this is this offseason, he's sort of prioritized now winning. It's time for the rubber to, to meet the road and bring in guys that can convert this young talent into winning um, a winning team. And the other thing that Memphis had that Minnesota didn't is they didn't have all the injuries or the the uh, suspension or the COVID and all the stuff that the Wolves had. I mean, the, this franchise has been snake bitten long before Rosas has been here, but it just has continued, you know, where we've, you know, we still haven't seen that team that's, that's on the roster right now on paper all together on the court yet. No, we haven't. I mean, so the over-unders came out in Vegas and the Wolves were set at 34 and a half for the upcoming season. And I think everybody kind of looks at that number and for the 20th season in a row thinks that's a really, that's too low, you know, and Michael Rand from the Star Tribune came out and he actually did the research and found that 14 of the last 17 years, the Wolves have hit the under. So bet the over at your own risk. Um, <laughs> but because, you know, there's always something that could happen as we've seen the last couple of years. If Cat goes down even you know, once for a 20-game stretch, all of a sudden that, that number's in jeopardy. So it only takes one thing. Um, but I was trying to think about it, and I was like, what what's the risk if they do underperform again this year? You know, what what if, are we really at a point where this is a pivotal year and they need to blow it up, they need to move forward? And I, it kind of falls into what you were just saying in that really the only, the only player on the roster who's in a make-or-break year is D'Angelo Russell. Because he has two years left in his contract, so at the end of this year, he'll be, he'll be one year away from expiring, and if the team underperformed once again with him and Carl as the two you know high-priced players on the team, he's he's going to be in a position where you either need to extend him or trade him because you're not going to let him just get to to free agency and walk. So, most likely, if that if this team has less than 34 and a half wins and they hit the under once again for the 15th out of 18th seasons, I could see D'Lo as being the the clear answer there for the the shift that needs to happen. And I don't know who, who is going to be excited for him at that point. I don't know if he's going to have, if we're going to have underperformed because of him or in spite of him, but he has to have enough value to get some, something decent back. And at that point, I don't, you make a shift there at some, you know, somewhere or another. Yeah. And I agree. Yeah. I mean, and, and his value might just be that he's an expiring contract at that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, which you're packaging them then with some young piece, whether it's a player or pick or whatever to, you know, get whatever, but maybe let, let's take this scenario. Let's say they do make the move for Ben Simmons at the trade deadline and it's Beverly and Beasley and two first round picks. Mm-hmm. And then in a year we're like, okay, well we ha- you know, we're a playoff team now, but Delo's not really contributing a ton to that. Well, now you have Simmons who can play Delo's spot and now yep. you can move. Yeah, you have flexibility D-Lo. still. Yep. Yep. And yeah, to your point, what's what would Delo's value be then? I I don't know, um, but it's I 
I don't I, like the the cat talk. Just seems way premature to me. Like cat's not said anything about being unhappy. No. You know, it's it's like the same. thing. Remember when KG was here, the Sam Smiths of the world. Every year we'd have to see these articles about how KG is going to demand a trade to Chicago, and I just every time Minnesota gets a star player, it's like it just drives me crazy. But I think, uh, you know, I think you're right that Delo would be the one in this window that seems to be the odd man out because a lot of what he brings to the table ant can do mm-hmm. um ant looks like he's going to be a pretty solid three-point shooter he can you know collapse defenses um he's going to be as good or significantly better on defense than Delo. so there's not a lot more that you're going to need out of Delo that you can't get out of ant now hopefully Delo takes that step to the next level and becomes sort of the all-star player he was in brooklyn and it's all moved so yeah and I like you said I can see Carl being much more okay moving into that mentor role trying to pull the team together and watching the young guys keep working than than Delo at this point. He seems very much to be at the stage of his career where he wants to I I'm sure Carl wants to prove himself too. He wants that recognition. But if the Timberwolves aren't winning, this is not the place for Delo to rebuild his reputation. No matter what numbers he's putting up, if he doesn't get the, you know, if the Timberwolves are a losing team again, his reputation isn't going to change throughout the league. See, and I don't think D'Lo, I guess that's the read I had on D'Lo before we got to see him this last season play. This year, watching him play, you know, he came back from the injury. He was okay coming off the bench. Mm -hmm. Um, he, He didn't just try to, like, force up 25 shots a night to sort of justify his own existence on the team. So I don't, I, I, you might be right on the mentorship part because that, that also doesn't seem like that's his personality in terms of wanting to be, the, but I also don't like cat's not going to be a mentor. Cat's still so much better than everybody else on this team that he's not going to be a mentor to anybody on this team until he, you know, and until the, the guys we draft after Ant and Jane, yeah. his career, he's going to be elite for most of ant's career as well you know what i'm saying like it's you know there's not and as much as i love ant i mean and if ant gets to cat's level i I don't think it's because cat's not still very elite i you know i just think we've all forgotten how damn good carl anthony towns actually is as a player and you know even this year you saw it he came back and it was a completely different team so um we'll see yeah so what's your take on the 34 and a half wins are you over or are you under on that because last uh, last uh, the was 30 wins was it it was 29 i think heading okay. in heading into last year on the 72 game season yep. so i think the ultimate number would have been slightly under 34 and a half maybe 32 33 yeah, but, yeah. They, they're basically saying they're you know a game better yeah um I, as we've been saying this whole time they they easily have the talent to surpass that number um and if we have faith in coach finch and him being an improvement and taking a step forward with this roster and putting them in a better position to win which i think we do i think most people in minnesota do have been following this team feel that way um and i think you would have to go with the over it's just a matter of there there are pitfalls you know if anthony edwards progression might not be linear it might not take he might not take a step from last year to this year and even if his numbers are similar it's still hard for a young player, especially an offensive-oriented young player, to 
dramatically impact winning, even if they're putting up numbers and getting recognition. So he might not make a giant leap. Maybe Jaden McDaniels continues to be what he was, but I don't know what we're going to see out of a leap from him. So I think they're putting a lot of expectations, a lot of hope on improvement from those two players. Um, And then they've talked up a lot, the growth and internal growth and the work from from Cat and D'Lo this offseason to really be committed to being the, the best versions of themselves. And um, they're not anywhere near what we saw from him, from Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he he never got one lick better from rookie year to year five. So, But at the same time, like, I don't know if you can necessarily say that Cat has changed his game in the past three years. Like, he's he's earned more usage or... He has taken on more of an offensive leadership role, or he's tried to become more of a facilitator at times. But I don't know if there's ever been an offseason, at least since his second, maybe third year in the league, where you can say he added this to his game or he took a leap. You know, I don't know if you can say the same thing about D'Lo either. So if either of them actually take a leap, that will either be the first time they've done it in multiple seasons as an individual, or it's mostly going to be because of their comfort level and the the system that they're playing with you know within with each other so um, I don't know if like they're putting a lot in internal progression a lot in internal growth to reach a higher number to reach that 500 number that I think they're setting as the baseline for themselves uh, to really be a a playoff contender but um, I don't think any of it is a given and I think but I think there are enough things that could go right that even one or two of them landing would make a significant difference for this team. Yeah. I mean, I think 34 and a half when I saw that seemed really low to me, you know, not really low in the sense that I think it's going to be 44 and a half. It just seems like that's on par with what they projected last year. And we have, with everything that went wrong last year, there were still only six games from mm-hmm. reaching that mark. And I can't imagine that many things go wrong this year. So I think even if everybody's just the exact same player they were last year, I think they're easily at the 29 wins from if last healthy. year. If healthy. If healthy. That's what I mean. Like yeah. if, if, if there's not like these long stretches where multiple guys are out, not just one guy. And then the second part of that is the, the Coach Finch piece. Because I'm as bullish on him as I've been about any coach that the Wolves have ever had. Now, I didn't know anything about him before we hired him. Yeah. But every interview, I just like when I inject it into my veins because he says all the, like everything he says, I love to hear. Like it's not even, it's not because I necessarily even, it's what I was thinking. It, Cause a lot of times it's not, it didn't mm-hmm. even dawn on me, but it's just, I love the way he looks at the game and I love the way he looks at his position of coaching. And like, I, I love that. He's not afraid to tell Rosas. No, this is what I think we should be doing where I do think that's part of the issue that Ryan had um, is that Ryan didn't feel confident enough to be able to disagree with Rosas. But that, I think, is another part of this equation that I don't think the odds makers are sort of figuring in. So, you know, last year I thought the over, but I thought we'd be at 30. I think that's why the number 30 stuck in my head. I didn't think it was, I thought 29 felt about right. I feel like that's what, I'm pretty sure that's what we discussed on the podcast. Yeah. I, I were all saying, oh, that sounds about right, but I'll take the over because if it's just one more win. And I think if everybody was healthy, they would have easily hit 30. Just with everything, like with the coach change, all that other stuff in there, if everybody would have just played 80% of their games, I think they would have uh, they would have hit that. But this this one, I'm 
I think they're going to be closer to 40 wins. I don't know if they hit 42, but I think they're going to be closer to 40 than the 34. Yeah, I, I, I think they have to be. I think I don't think it's just the 34 and a half that's the threshold for whether or not this is a, a no. It's not team that can move forward. Like, yeah, like if my brother's going to Vegas on Sunday, and I just I'm I'm thinking just thinking all out now. I'm I'm having put 100 bucks on the over. Yeah, and I I think that's a good bet and. They're like you. They're going to have to be close to that 500 number for them to even pretend to convince themselves that this roster construction can continue moving forward without some significant changes. So um, let's hope they are. Let's hope that it's a, a fun season of winning basketball. And like Coach Finch said uh, in multiple interviews and podcasts and whatever it happens to be, like they have to get to a point where they expect to win rather than hoping not to lose. And it's a mindset. It's a culture change. And that's. You know, bringing it back to the very beginning, hopefully that's what Patrick Beverly can help bring to this team. And it's his personality and he, his idol, his mentor, is who he looks up to is Kevin Garnett. That's why he wears number 21 and he's super excited to play for the Timberwolves. He might be one of the few guys in the league that's, that's looking forward to it. And it's all because of Kevin Garnett. So let's hope to bring a little bit of that back. What I think Finch himself expects to win and Ryan hoped to win. I think that is the big difference between the two of them. I mean, I... You know, I, I've said it over and over again how much I like Ryan as a person, but he was another inexperienced person on a team full of inexperienced people. So we have a coach. Now he is not, doesn't have a ton of experience as a head coach in this league, but he has been a head coach elsewhere, and I think that's worth a lot. And um, he's been a key assistant on some successful teams in this league. So that his confidence level, I think, changes a little bit of the culture. And I definitely think the – Patrick Beverly. In some ways, if they tr- they flip Beverly for Simmons, I do hope it's not until at least to the trade deadline because I want some of that Patrick Beverly energy to rub off on this team because Simmons doesn't really have that either. That you know, yeah. the one th- I mean, Simmons is a superior player, but he doesn't have that edge that this team still desperately needs. I was trying to think who's the last guy we had with that kind of edge besides be- before Jimmy. We had Jimmy. And then before Jimmy, it had to be KG. I don't think I don't think anybody under the Adam and days. I mean, no, not that type of personality. We had some strong personalities, but not that kind of personality. Yeah, I mean, Ricky wasn't that. Kevin Love wasn't that. Peck wasn't that. No, you couldn't give it to Andre Kirilenko. Kevin Martin. No, none of those guys. I, I mean, we haven't. We have watched the Minnesota Timberwolves be any number of words you want to choose, but weak or soft or complacent Com- you know, yeah, for years i didn't say that we because you know come on no team that has like the godfather on it is going to be soft like in terms of you know if, it, if you're talking basketball soft maybe but if, if a fight broke out Pepsi no yeah i mean and that's, yeah, that's definitely different absolutely but it's like i have you know i've grown sick of watching the timberwolves be bullied and pushed around right, by right. teams i mean we're tired of the Grizzlies. We hate the Grizzlies by this point because they come in every single year, no matter who is on their team, and they're more physical and they're more ready to compete than the Minnesota Timberwolves. And it doesn't matter what the talent level is, but even back when it was grit and grind and we felt like we should be competing with them, we just couldn't. And now they have a whole new set of players. It's not grit and grind anymore, but they come in, they're more ready to compete. And we need players who are ready to step in from day one and provide that edge and the fact that they're not going to take that anymore. Yeah, and I think you know Beasley's got some of that. Ant's got some of that, yeah. Um, and then Beverly's got so much of that that you know, his little six foot tall body can't hold it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's why it's it comes out. 
you know, in these shoving Chris Paul to the ground kind of moments right. <laughs> because he's just, he, you know, got tons of that. Um, so, I mean, it's good. And that's part of the reason why I like Isaiah Miller. You know, he's another one of those guys that I think would bring a little bit of that swagger to the team as well. Um, even if it's just as a very minimal yeah. usage guy. I think we'd all like to see them add a player like that to their front court as well to provide a little bit more toughness inside. Um, you know, Finch says a lot of, a lot of times we can't, we can't cannibalize our offense by adding more toughness and defense. Um, so they have to find the right fit. They have to find the right player. But, uh, but you know, they also don't appear to be completely done for the offseason. I don't know if that's only Balmero or Vanderbilt or if they have more irons in the fire and things will come through. But if they do, you know, we will be back for another episode of Howell History. Uh, hopefully we can get back to doing this weekly. We'll head back to the ninety ninety one season. We've dropped that off the last couple of episodes, and we're looking forward to get back to it. I think we're going to watch a game together and uh, talk about what Felton Spencer looks like out on the floor. So um, we'll be back soon, and uh, we look forward to sharing more of our joint wisdom with you. So thanks for joining us, Chad. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks, man. You too. Have a good time on vacation. Thanks, dude. Talk to you later, buddy. See ya. Bye.